millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National, presented by Alison Balance and Veronica Maduna. Let's start with some signs that could only happen in New Zealand. We know that all the crops we grow worldwide have very low genetic diversity compared to their wild ancestors. It seems that genetic wealth is lost as part of the process of domestication, but it's been difficult to regard how, when and how quickly this happens because the crops we cultivate today were first sown deliberately thousands of years ago. Except in New Zealand, of course, where plants were first cultivated in gardens no more than 800 years ago when Māori first settled here. Lara Shepherd at Te Papa is using DNA to track what happens when a plant is domesticated and I meet her outside her lab to find out about her work on Ringaringa. Now we're sitting here outside Te Papa's labs surrounded by Ringaringa and I, that's what I think of Ringaringa lilies now. It's almost like a garden plant, a native that a lot of people use to replace their aggies in their gardens. <laughs> Tell me a bit about what we know about the plant before people arrived in New Zealand. So we have records that Ringaringa was actually cultivated by Māori, so the explorer William Colenso recorded in his book in 1880 that he'd seen it growing around villages. Um, deliberately we, planted? Well, we assume deliberately planted, yep. Well, it seemed to be in the kind of gardens that people were growing, so um, yeah, that suggests that it was deliberately cultivated. We know that, well, we think that its natural distribution is in the north of the North Island, so it's very common around there, and particularly in coastal areas, it really likes growing right by the sea. And south of Rotorua, it seems to be far more rare, so it's only really scattered distributions, and it tends to occur around past uh, Maori settlement sites. So it's been suggested that it was actually introduced to these areas as part of its cultivation, and they actually used it for food. I was food. just going to yeah. ask exactly what they would have used it for, because it's obviously it's that the roots would be edible. Yeah, so the roots are kind of fleshy, um, kind of like rhizomes, like something like, I'm trying to think of a comparison, like ginger root would be similar, I guess. Have you ever tried it? No, I haven't, and I haven't found anyone that's tried it, so I keep thinking I should... Is there any references about what it might have tasted like or references um, at least pointing towards the, the use of it as a food? There are some references saying that people did eat it so it was roasted in a, um, like a hungi, I think, and, and eaten that way. It was also used medicinally and the poultice was made out of the roots for things like boils. But I think when Europeans arrived, it was actually dropped pretty quickly as a crop. So um, things like potatoes grow a lot better in our climate and have a much bigger yield. So we don't know a huge amount about um, how it was grown and what it was used for. Your interest in this is particularly to track that process of domestication because we know from other crops that there is somewhere along the line a loss of genetic diversity. 
So why did you choose Ringaringa for this? We actually have a larger project looking at a number of plants that were cultivated by Māori and Ringaringa is one of them. And we're particularly interested in crops that were grown by Māori once they arrived in New Zealand. So this is not ones that were brought from the Pacific but native New Zealand plants because we know that Māori only arrived here around seven to 800 years ago. So we have a um, time limit for when these began to be grown. So that's really important because a lot of the crops that people have studied overseas, things like your maize, wheat, um, oats, things like that, they first began to be cultivated around 10,000 years ago. So knowing what happened in the very early stages of domestication is really difficult, whereas the plants that we know Māori only started growing around seven to 800 years ago, we know that these are only in the very early stages of domestication. And I guess it's also easier to track how they were distributed originally and which plant might have come from where and moving with people. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So what are the other plants in that group? What are you looking at? Um, karaka, the big tree with bright orange berries. So that was a, that's a much more important food source than Ringa Ringa, actually. So that's going to be a really important one for us to look at. Uh, Fo was another one. That's The wood was used for fishing floats and that also has a similar distribution to Ringa Ringa. So in the south it only pops up in um, areas where we know um, people were living. And uh, one of the Kofi species was the fourth one. And they're all plants that we know that were here before people, so not plants that people brought with them. Yeah, so they're all endemic to New Zealand, so they're only found in New Zealand, so people um, wouldn't have brought them. Here. Now, you use DNA to do all of this, and before we get completely blown out here, maybe we could retreat to the lab. Yes. And you can tell me how you've done it? Okay, yep. Great. Oh, in here? All right. Oh, the genetics lab. The furnace. Yeah, the furnace. <laughs> it's so hot in here. So basically, once we collect a plant from um, out in the wild, or if it's planted, then we put it into uh, silica gel. So this is like the stuff, you know, if you buy a new pair of shoes, then they often have those little packets of silica gel with them. So basically it dries all the water out of the uh, leaf and it means you can store them for, you know, 10, 20 years and still get really good DNA out of the uh, leaf material. So you don't have to freeze it or anything? It's just the drying out protects the DNA enough? Yeah, it seems to. And it's much more practical in the field as well if you're, you know, tripping around New Zealand collecting all these plants. You don't have to keep them frozen. You can just put them in the silica gel and, and they can, yeah, store for years. So how much tripping around New Zealand did you do for Ringa Ringa? Oh. Did you literally collect from just about everywhere? Yeah, quite a lot of places. We're working with Dr Peter DeLang, who's a doc scientist, so he did a lot of the collecting up in Northland. But, yeah, around this kind of lower North Island and the South Island, we yeah visited quite a lot of different places, which was interesting. <laughs> and so what then? Do you have to sequence them? Yes, that's what we did, yep. So what we did was try and find bits of DNA that were really variable, so um, showed genetic variation, which differed between the different regions, and I think we ended up using four DNA spaces. So this is the bits of DNA between genes, and they tend to be able to evolve a lot more quickly, so show differences between the different populations. And we were really lucky, actually. 
we found that most of the regions that we looked at had their unique different DNA type from elsewhere. So this was really good for our project. We were able to distinguish these different natural populations. And because we found different populations show these different DNA variants, it suggests that they're not uh, mixing very much. So they've likely been in the same place for a long time and it's allowed them to kind of build up this unique genetic variation. And so are there any boundaries between those different regional pockets? If they're not mixing, what stops them from mixing? It's probably to do with the dispersal of the seeds. Uh, Rangaranga has little, tiny little black seeds. They don't have any obvious way of dispersing. You know, they don't float on the wind and they don't have a nice fruit around them, so birds don't eat them as far as we know. So we think that they're probably falling off the plant and then just not moving very far, and that's why they're, um, they don't seem to be mixing between the different regions very much. Which is helpful for you, I guess, in this particular case, because yes, then you can really identify that you know, one plant might have been taken from yeah. one place to another. Yeah, so it allowed us to figure out that the plants that we think had been planted by Māori, we were able to um, infer where they'd actually been brought from. So this is the South the Island range. plants? That That's the South on? Island uh, around Wellington, down the east coast of the southern North Island, so around um, near Hawke's Bay and south of there. All of those plants we were able to link back to the eastern Bay of Plenty and East Cape region. Do you know why? Why those particular good or ones? No, we don't know actually. And as far as we can tell, no one has looked at within the natural distribution how the plants vary in terms of things like the size of the roots that were eaten, whether there are any um, other compounds in there that might not taste so nice, or some might taste better than others. No one's kind of done a survey of that. So at the moment, we have no idea why those particular ones were collected first and moved. I mean, maybe it was just that that was the first area it was recognised that these things were edible, so that's where they started growing them and shifting them elsewhere. Yeah, we're not, we're not sure why that region. Or people might have taken them with them as gifts or something like that. You know, yeah, if they yep. were In the exchanges. Yep, that's possible. So yeah. at the moment it's a big question mark yes. as to why exactly those <laughs> plants. But then what do you see in terms of the, um, the genetic diversity? That would suggest that if plants are taken from one spot, planted in another then that's it, really. They will not be mixing with any other steer, so they'll become that particular variant? Yes, that's right. So when we looked at across all the natural populations, we found uh, 29 different DNA types, and in the ones that were we think were grown by Māori in the southern North Island and the South Island, we only find two of those types. So there's been a huge like loss of genetic diversity. Only some of the DNA variants have made it into these cultivated populations. So, yeah, there's definitely been a big, what we call a genetic bottleneck, um, which shows that the diversity can be lost really early in the domestication process as Almost well. Almost in the first steps, really, when yes. you choose a plant to then take somewhere else. Yes. Do you think that's the common process that might apply to all the other crops that we have domesticated? I think it would definitely apply to some of them. In a lot of situations in overseas plants that were domesticated, it looks like they were cultivated in the same region where the wild relatives grow. It means that the ones that they were growing were able to interbreed with the wild relatives, so it kind of introduced new variation into the um, cultivated plants. But in our case with Rengarenga, it was moved out of its natural distribution so there was no opportunity for it to breed with these wild relatives. So it might be a little bit of a different situation from some of the other um, crop species. 
Would domestication then be almost like an evolutionary dead end? Ooh. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I think a lot of people would say it's actually a lot better for the crops because if you look at something like maize, they've been able to trace all maize back to a single valley in Mexico, but now it's found around the world. So it depends what you say is success because it's got a much greater range... I guess, than it previously had. It may be really genetically bottlenecked and look nothing like its relative um, and be quite different, but in terms of yeah, sheer numbers of plants, it's, I'd say it's very successful. But genetically speaking, cultivation or domestication is still a loss. Yes, yeah. Uh, when we look at the wild relatives of most plants, so things like maize and potatoes, there's a lot more genetic variation in the wild ancestors I guess than in the ones that are being grown today and people have looked at introducing new variation from some of these wild relatives into our crops to kind of help them because there are um, side effects of having such low variation so things like the um, Irish potato famine was because the particular potato strain being grown in Ireland was um, susceptible to blight because it had no variation, so once the blight got in, and then it just killed all of them. So having genetic variation is definitely uh, beneficial. I'm thinking here of the kakabeek, which is even more a now you know thought of as a garden plant. Everybody mm. knows it. A lot of people have it growing in the garden, but in the wild, there's 150 about, plants. Yeah, I they're think. just about gone, and it's the same thing that um, you know the plants in the wild are genetically distinct in the different regions. So there's also the loss of genetic diversity in the garden plant, which is just one particular yes. genetic variety. In this case, the wild plant is threatened. That's not true for ring ring. I mean, that's still no. widely distributed. Yes. But is that something that you're also looking at, just how perhaps a domesticated plant might be reintroduced into the wild? So with ring ring, you're saying it's... Um still fairly common in the wild, that's true, but what we did find was that some of the populations that our um, colleague who was working with us, Peter DeLang from DOC, he went to areas he knew Ringaringa used to occur and it wasn't there anymore. So there are kind of populations going extinct and because we found so much genetic variation being restricted to different populations, then we probably are losing diversity there because... You know, an individual population goes extinct and that's genetically different, then that's, that variation is gone. They are a bit susceptible to uh, loss of diversity and they are eaten by goats, slugs and snails, as anyone who's grown them in the garden might, <laughs> might know. And a lot of the places where they're growing now, particularly in the cultivated part of its distribution, they're actually restricted to cliffs where some of these animals can't access. So, Can you feed some of what you're learning on the native plants in New Zealand back into the bigger picture of domestication, of some of the, you know, the huge crops that we're now growing across the world? Yes, so one of our questions we're interested in was we know that a lot of the crops around the world have very low diversity now compared with their ancestors, but a big question is when does this loss actually occur? Is it really early on when um, people first start growing that particular species or is it a kind of long, slow loss over many thousands of years? So with Ringa Ringa, we know that it was only began to be cultivated in the last seven to 800 years and we see that uh, there's a big loss of diversity already. So that suggests that that can happen early on. It's not necessarily a big, slow loss of diversity over you know, thousands of years. That was Lara Shepherd, an evolutionary scientist at the Museum of New Zealand, Te Papa Tongareva.
That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Ka kite anō. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.